listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Thank you for listening. The Infinite Smile Sangha is made possible by the generosity of friends, members, and people who have been touched by this teaching. Please visit our donations page at infinitesmile.org to help us continue our efforts in spreading the Dharma. Years ago, my uh, wife and I were traveling through, through Asia. We'd gone down the, in Thailand, we'd gone down the, the peninsula and crossed over into Malaysia. And uh, it was so uh, stunning. We were staying in Penang, it was the first part of our Malaysian journey. For those of you who are familiar with Penang, it's a, it's a fascinating island off the, uh, the mainland with just about every type of ethnicity you could imagine, all more or less coexisting. Uh, I mean, there are some rubs and so forth, but it was just this really amazing amalgam of humanity. And I was struck by the crackling of the speakers several times a day with the Muslim call to prayer. And it just sent chills down my spine. I thought it was so beautiful. Just this, this commentary basically saying, once again, let's be clear about what this is all about. Let's be clear about the infinite. Now there's all sorts of other baggage that can come with that, whether it's Islam, or it's Christianity, or it's Buddhism, or it's any other wisdom tradition. Atheism as well. But still this idea that there is a, there is a call that is as much internal as it is external, basically asking us to meet our heart's deepest longing again and again and again. It's always there. That call is always there, but we create structure to allow for us to kind of get a reminder. Anyways, this reminder always has kind of stuck with me. I, I, um, I, had, a, I had a Buddhist call to prayer today when my two-year-old waltzed into the... Uh, uh, my office, and I was sitting in my office actually uh, doing some doing some work on the computer, scribbling out some things. I guess you don't scribble on a computer, but typing out some things uh, for tonight's talk and so forth, ideas that I've had floating around in my head. And she comes in, dada, 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 dada. I go, hi, Kay, dada, dada. And she is like right next to me, hitting me on like, dada, dada. I'm like, how are you? And she goes, Mm, fine. Dada. Dada. I go, <laughs> what, do you, what do you say to one of those little reminders? Uh, <laughs> you know, I just, I just kind of started laughing. And she said, Dada. And she pointed her finger up, which I thought was remarkable. Dada. <laughs> Sit down. <laughs> Buddhist called a prayer. <laughs> Sit down. And then the, the exclamation point on this little interchange 
was, sit down now. <laughs> now, what are you going to do? Of course. I will sit down. So I, I have two Zabutans. I have one on top of another for, for extra comfort. <laughs> so I took the <laughs> one out from underneath and I put it in front of me. And I sat down on uh, my, uh, my Zafu like this. I have another one. And um, I gave her a little support cushion. And I folded it over and she sat in front of me. And I, and I showed her what's called the mudra. Okay? And she awkwardly kind of put her hands together like this and everything. And um, we sat there for precisely four seconds. And then it was something else. But it was a beautiful little reminder. And we're given those reminders continually. Sit down. Now. Shh. We're always given a call to prayer. Always. And you can go overboard and do it five times a day when like, you're not in retreat. I, I don't recommend that, actually. Uh, I do recommend, however, that every single day you make time. Make time for stillness. I love the, uh, the excuse. Well, I don't have time. There's time. It's just not a priority. Now, I'm not trying to sound like your mom or dad when I say that. But it's really, really a powerful, powerful statement. It's a powerful opening to grace when you say, come hell or high water, I'm doing this because this matters. This is a priority. My conscious meeting of the infinite is a priority. Everything flows from there. Everything flows from there. <coughs> So, my best two-year-old impersonation right now goes something like this. Sit down. Now. And see what happens. Watch your experience. You don't have to do anything. You really don't. You don't have to do a thing. You just watch. Be that watcher of your experience and see what happens. Papaji uh, used to say, wait and see. That was his big deal. Wait and see. It was a great teaching. Just wait and see. You don't have to do anything. Just shut up. <laughs> Stop. Shh. Yeah? So... And by the way, there is tremendous playfulness that springs from that. I don't recommend being playful if it's a distraction from that. But I recommend finding that sacred still space and letting it inform your activity. And you'll find that there is tremendous fluidity and flexibility. Fluidity, another way of saying fluidity, if you speak Latin, is humor. So find that fluidity.
fluid flow within stillness. Let stillness inform flow. One of the things my wife and I lament, despite all of our blessings, we really lament the fact that we don't get a chance to go out very much anymore. Um, it's totally contingent on whether or not uh, the little ones, soon to be little ones, can be cared for while we go, you know, taking a quick bite to eat or something like that. Today, we saw our first film in two years. <laughs> Yes, we went and saw Up in 3D, and uh, they didn't give us glasses, so we walked in there, I went, you know, because everything's like sh shifted, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about here, but, it, and I'm we're like, what the hell, you know, is it me? And she's like, no, so we get the glasses, and then it was like something exploded from the screen, it was the most beautiful thing, and I'd heard good things about it, and I tend to be one of those people who finds a resistance um, come up when I associate um, culture with Disney. Um, I mean, I, it's it, nothing, I, I think, they have the right to separate us from our dollars, that's, that's their job. Um, uh, uh, but I was incredibly pleased with the story. And I have indeed been incredibly pleased with certain, certain uh, popular mythologies that have come out of uh, Disney, and in this case, Disney Pixar, what, what really showed up for Ali and me uh, was if you're not careful, you can miss each other. You can run so hard to make sure everything gets taken care of that we can, you can miss each other. And to give you guys a little background, this is a story about a man and who falls in love with a woman very, very early on when they're very young and they end up getting married and so forth and they can't have children. Don't worry, I'm not going to spoil the ending. But they're, they're together and the woman dies at, you know, the ripe old age of something. And he's, his crotchetiness is kind of thrown out there. The voice, by the way, is Ed Asner. So I kept having this Mary Tyler Moore type flashback, you know, going on. I was waiting for, uh, 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 what's his name, Ted Baxter to come in, you know, and say something, Mayor, you know, something like that. But it was just really cool. It was a perfect, in my view, characterization. It's a relationship that he develops with this young boy after the death of his wife and the adventure that they go on. And it's just a beautiful story about loss and the reclamation of interconnection. It was beautifully done. Uh, and I'm not going to spend a tremendous amount of time like trying to, you know, xenalyze it or anything. But uh, it, it was a beautiful reminder for, for my wife and me you know, this is temporary. I'm going to be very sad. I'm going to be very sad when Alicia is no longer there for whatever reason. 
and she won't be. At some point, she won't be. I'll be gone, or she'll be gone, whether she goes first or I go first. One of us goes. This is temporary, temporary, temporary. Same thing with my daughter. Same thing with the Infinite Smile Sangha. Same thing with planet Earth. Our sun has 50 billion or so years left. Let's live it up, folks. <laughs> <laughs> but it, all kidding aside, it was this, this great, great reminder of the temporary nature of all things. And how every one of us, regardless of position or practice or belief structure or body, whatever it might be, every one of us is going to have fear. Every one of us is going to have hope. Every one of us will experience grace, bone-shattering grace. Every one of us will experience deep darkness. Every one of us has a chance to rise to that call to adventure. Every one of us has the opportunity to hear that call to prayer. So what do you want to say to the ones you love most? Because they're not going to be there at some point. What do they need to know? What do you need to know? What do you really want before that last breath? Really letting this in has a way of stiffening up our practice a little bit. We tend to, when we really, really think about the fact that all things fall apart, that we're going to watch all of this go away probably sooner than we want, if we can really let that in, it's almost like we at that point can miraculously access a tremendous amount of energy for the heavy lifting of practice. And it allows us to meet this call to prayer. It allows us to meet our loved ones and the ones we never thought we could love from a wholly different spaciousness. As I, uh, as I left the theater, there was um, a little bit of an altercation uh, uh, as I was, I was crossing the street to get back to our car. It was slight, but I was walking along, I'm talking to Alicia, and I bumped into a guy, and the guy kind of sneered at me as he kind of kept moving. And I'd be lying if I said that there wasn't a time, not too terribly long ago, not too many decades ago, when that would have been an opportunity for me to turn around, look at him, and just kind of go, I don't think I'd go any further with that. I fancied myself kind of 
as a badass. You know? <laughs> there was a really cool moment for me right there. As soon as I said that, I saw several faces that looked like this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you go on, Zen boy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All kidding aside, there, 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 there was a time um, uh, when that would have been kind of a space, a, a space it would have gladly occupied. You crossed me, I crossed you, let's take this on. It doesn't mean we'll go fight each other physically, but there was that, there was that space that I could occupy pretty easily point of this elongated story is that as I was bumped, as he gave me the sneer, instead of going into that space of me versus him, that space of deep division, of I'm in here, he's out there, he's a threat, let's let him know that we're not afraid. Instead of going into that space, I just kind of said, oh gosh, I'm so sorry. That didn't erase the frown but it didn't matter. <laughs> it just didn't matter. I wasn't going to get caught. I, I should say, I didn't get caught. So as much as this little artistic um, communication from the Enchanted Kingdom um, offered a little bit of space for, for me and my wife and the world, there's a, a practice that allows us to carry that type of reminder with us all the time. Being still every day lets that out. It allows it to be expressed because the boundaries that we spend so much time kind of shopping experience up with begin to fall away. Those walls begin to kind of perforate, fall apart. They, and the more, the more this occurs, the more we actually meet stillness, the more we can actually begin to see this deep unity. Instead of separation, it just kind of flows our work as human beings begins to flow through not only our bodies, but we see ourselves in others. And as our bodies and our minds kind of get dropped in this spaciousness, all that's left is awareness. And the essence of awareness is grace and ease. There's no fight there. There's only, I'm so sorry. <laughs> without feeling like you're giving something away. When we can carry that then into relationship, that undivided spaciousness into relationship, all sorts of really interesting things happen. And we can look at this in this moment as relationship with uh, someone we're intimate with or with someone we are not so intimate with but is around every day. Uh, or maybe someone who's not around very often on purpose. Pick a relationship, any one of them, that's given you a little bit 
of pause, or maybe it's giving you a great deal of trouble. What would happen if you carried utter non-judgment into the relationship? If you quit fighting for them to change? If instead of, damn it, I wish she'd be like this or he'd be like this, or I wish they would stop doing, you know, when are they going to, you know, if that type of internal dialogue, that egoic clinging, were to give way, and you just accepted that person utterly, totally, without reservation, what you have is the greatest catalyst for change you could imagine. It doesn't mean the relationship is suddenly going to become uh, rosy. But it does mean that the relationship will be imbued with a deeper awareness. And when we can bring that awareness, that openness into a relationship, especially with someone who's giving us, who's, you know, who's, who's, who's creating some resistance, we're, we're noticing resistance patterns come up in relationship to what's going on with them. When we can do this, suddenly there's a really fantastic thing that can occur. When I say catalyst for change, it means just that. Bringing non-judgment into the relationship usually means it's going to go into one of two directions. Bringing your awareness of non-judgment, that fire, into the relationship is absolutely intolerable for a person who is deeply unconscious deeply fixed, grasping, avoiding. It's utterly intolerable. At that point, what happens is both parties begin to have a choice. The unconscious party either can meet your consciousness or they can refuse. It can't be partial it's either up or down. When they do, when the choice is made, I'm going to give this a shot, the relationship then becomes this remarkable spiritual practice. You get to, if you will, use each other as the practice. There's no one better than someone you have a resistance pattern around. No one better to teach you the meaning of non-attachment. This is not easy. But when a relationship becomes a spiritual practice, when you can begin not to judge the person and accept them totally for what they are, and they then make that choice to do the same back, we have a relationship that has the potential to awaken both parties as one infinite spaciousness. The other choice is, I will not meet you. I will not meet you in that space. At that point, a choice needs to be made whether you stay or whether you go, just like the great Clash song. Should I stay or should I go now? Okay? If I stay, there might be trouble. Okay? If I go, it will be double.
You know, I've never brought in The Clash, actually, in a Dharma talk, so this is kind of a first. The, who would have thought an 80s punk band would ever be in? <laughs> if they stay, if they stay and things work out, marvelous. If, on the other hand, they, they can't take the heat, okay, you can leave. But at least you're leaving from a place of deep consciousness. And that deep consciousness feels just like love. Either way, you're better off. One qualification I want to give. Not judging your partner doesn't mean you don't stand up. You don't meet them. You don't call a spade a spade, either internally or overtly. It doesn't mean you give in. It means that you participate fully. Maybe more fully than you have in the past. Instead of beating on a person, or worse yet, beating on yourself through the relationship, the beating stops when we can bring this kind of consciousness in. The dysfunction, the abuse, stops the minute you become absolutely 100% totally aware of it. And the big trouble with all of this is that the ego will want to stay no matter what. Most likely, the ego will want to stay because familiarity is so much more comfortable. It feels better. I know this. Awakening, ladies and gents, is utterly unknowable. Therefore, if that inertia, that inertia to go only to what's comfortable, really carries us towards that, towards that uh, uh, deepening, if you will, uh, dysfunction or darkness, the only thing that ultimately saves us is being aware of what's happening. And in that moment, we stand fully. We become upright. Right in the middle of that disaster. And we do what we need to do. Some of you in this room may have had situations where you're, you're very close with somebody. And then time or whatever, let's say it's a friend, time kind of splits things up a little bit. And then you realize you have nothing in common but you still kind of go with it because you've been friends for so long and so forth, and then it becomes painful. It's as if you try to force something, and that force is nothing other than attachment. And what does that do to the relationship? It kills it. Sometimes releasing, just like in not, not judging that person, allows for you also to say goodbye. This is hard. Another caveat, don't take that to the extreme. I'm not judging anyone. I don't need people. Maybe you don't. But the work is not to attach to non-attachment. It's to participate from a place of non-attachment. It's to participate in every one of your relationships. Be they intimate, casual, old-time friends, whatever. But stand up. 
Stand up from a place of deep consciousness and see what happens. Play for keeps. We're here for a very short time. Cone of shame. Yes. In the movie Up, uh, any dog that has to wear one of those doggy cones, it's referred to as the cone of shame. It's where all the other dogs get to mock that dog. And um, actually, what did you want me to say about it? <laughs> yeah. I think. Uh, Okay, well, so you want me to metaphorically stretch it? Yeah. Okay. The cone of shame. The cone of shame is self-punishment. It's self-flagellation. It's clinging to a sense that I'm separate and not worthy. That I'm not enough. Okay? The alternate version of that, instead of the cone of shame, we might have the spiked collar, which is, I am a badass. Right? Okay, and either way, we're looking at the same disease. Is the ego the disease? The, yes, yes. The ego is the sense of feeling separate, so it gives rise. It, it, it's as if it tills the soil for those types of that type of growth to occur. The, there is no difference psychologically between I am a badass and I am worthless. They are exactly the same disease, just like clinging is the same thing as pushing away. It's exactly the same disease. So ego is what, is what gives rise to that occurrence. It's the only activity it has. Ego's job is to either put the cone of shame on or, or the spikes, collar of spikes, and places in between. But basically what it does is it creates this massive limitation around me, I, mine. Right, wrong, yes, no, us, them. Right? And that, that boundary right there, as Krishnamurti says, is the sum total of human suffering. It's right there. And it's consciousness that... The minute we are aware of the boundary, the boundary starts to lose its integrity. And when we keep being aware of the boundary or boundaries over and over and over, anytime we hear a call to prayer, that's when they begin, they all fall down. See, there was something in the cone. Yeah, I guess there was something in the cone, wasn't there? Yeah. yeah. So. Basically, though, you've probably figured out by now that I'm, I'm only teaching one thing. So whatever you throw, we could probably turn it around into some creative-sounding me metaphor. I mean, hell, I brought in a Clash song, you know. <laughs> you got it, you got it. You, right, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Cone of shame. Get one. <laughs> yeah, Joanne. So the, and the one thing you're teaching is... Exactly. <laughs> the one thing I'm teaching is that you and I and everyone else are nothing more than 
awakened space. The rest, you don't need any of it. Actually, all you can go home now. Literally. They're all awake in space. That's it. There's nothing more than that. In awakened space, there's no suffering. There's freedom. Total freedom. Which means, essentially, that we can, or here's the experiment at least, we can live in this life that we have right now. We can live in this life. All we have to do is, is allow that, that insight through what it is that we do. You don't have to allow it to be awakened and open. It already is. We have to realize... Stop the blocks to it. And, and the way you stop the blocks to all that is recognizing that the you itself is a series of false constructions, like a house of cards. And at some point in time, practice, it's as if it... <laughs> you know, it's like a really tall house of cards, and somebody goes like one of the bottom ones, it's like... I always, this reminds me of, do you remember in the late 70s, there was that guy who would do those domino things, you know, and he was like really good at it, and he finally did one that was like, you know, 200,000 dominoes or whatever, and there was this, this one report, I remember I was doing, I guess it was in a current events class, or a current events assignment for like seventh grade social studies or something like that, and I was, ta- I, I, I was talking about him. And it was evidently a big deal that he accidentally knocked over a domino um, uh, that that ruined like this massive, you know, ten-day endeavor. And that's what we're trying to do. <laughs> trying to knock, trying to knock those dominoes over. And that doesn't mean you can't. You, you can't live in the world. Indeed, you can live in the world. You don't. This does not have to. Doesn't pin you to a monastery. Monastery. But it does mean that all that stuff that kind of you hold on to, you just you realize, man, I don't need any of this stuff on this climb. And then stuff happens. Anyone else? Yeah, David. Um, when you're when you have a relationship with somebody, and I find this uh, in my case with a family member. Yeah. I just recently visited uh, my 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 mom. It's her. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Is she listening? Sorry. David loves you. This is not David Portnoff. <laughs> okay, it's all out. Um, I'll, I'll edit that out. No. <laughs> uh, well, this would be a good way back. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Uh, so the upshot is 
you know, it's a it's a family relationship. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of history. Yeah. And um, and when you were talking about coming at it from a you know from 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 awareness, mm-hmm. if the other person is caught in all these, well, in her case, it's it's a lot of of. Uh, idea of how things should be, how the relationship should be. Right. You know, which is not reality. You never call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how do you deal with that? And, and in that the behavior mm-hmm. um, that, that, that she's expecting mm-hmm. means something to her. The expectation that, that, that I'm not delivering whatever exactly. she's expecting. And it's not it's, it's not it wouldn't be genuine. So for me to... So what's the compassionate move? Think about this. This is such a great question because, first of all, at some point in your practice, there's this great aha moment, which is, oh, my God, no one can make me feel a certain way. No one can make me feel guilty. I have to choose to allow the guilt in. No one can make me feel happy. No one can complete me, you know? No one can. No one can. It's up to you to fill all that stuff out on your own. And in the process of doing that, what ends up happening is we suddenly start realizing we're not caught by somebody else's unconsciousness. That's their deal. And we can remain totally conscious in those moments, especially the ones that kind of hit. And you go, oh, wow, that one really hurt. Instead of, screw you, right? There's a huge difference. So that's kind of what was going on. But so it creates. Um, so what's your job? Yeah. Creates space. That conscious space that occurs when you when you feel the dart come flying, okay, and you, you get so good at it that you can see the dart when it's when she's humming it at you, right? Okay, you can see it before it leaves. Okay, at some point. At this point, basically, what's happening is you feel it. And you react to the pain as opposed to a stillness practice and bringing consciousness into a relationship, which allows for us to see the wind-up. At the wind-up, we can usually get out of the way. And if not, even if it does hit, we then become totally aware of the pain as opposed to reactive to the deliverer. Does that make sense? It, it does, but... but that's that's not really what's going on. Oh. Is that I'm I'm not caught by it. Great. But what I see though is that the, the me not being caught by it is is more problematic because mm-hmm. it's more not meeting the expectation. And then that when you say that to her, what you just said to me, mm-hmm. what happens? Well, that's probably what I need to say. Instead I think you just, just figured it out. Yeah, you become your own alchemist in this case. You turn that lead into gold by allowing this to spawn a conversation as long as you can promise yourself that that conversation, you're going to be so hyper-present that you will not react or counterattack no matter what. And then guess what happens? You've embodied the generosity of the Dharma. You've booted her. (laughs) <laughs> did you feel that mom what what you've been booted 
I mean, all joking aside, it's a, it's, a, it's a really intense, intense practice. And the cool thing is, there isn't one person in this room who couldn't find somebody in their life to do that with at some level. Moms are particularly powerful. The stories that surround our moms, huge, you know? Some marvelous, some not so marvelous, you know? But they're those really thick, heavy, hardcore stories around, you know, the biggies. And so it might be good to practice, <laughs> practice with the mailman. <laughs> mailman first, mom seventh. In between, you choose. You know, yeah. Those first, the first ones can be just somebody who does something unconscious to you. You recognize it before you react to it. The big stories, be very patient and be very present. And it, sometimes it helps to rehearse with someone 